Living life looking up. That's been our theme these past few Sundays. Uh, In spite of a a world full of hard things and bad news, and in spite of living among a majority of people who live life looking down, especially in these days, God calls his people to be different. He calls his own to look up in hope and in expectation and confidence because he is here. God is here, and he's alive, and he's at work in our world. Now, apart from him, apart from the Lord, of course, people have very good reason to look down and to wonder if life here is worth the living. But but part of the church's witness for Jesus is to show the world around that with him, with God, because of Christ, anything, even the impossible, is possible. With him, even death ends in life, you see. So as long as we are with him, we have all the reason in the world to have hope and confidence and peace and to live life always looking to him, looking up. Um, These past weeks, we have seen these uh, choices, the, the choice to live this way. We've seen it in this man, Caleb, a couple weeks ago in his good report about Israel's promised land, even though he was tragically outvoted 10 to 2, his assessment was right because he knew God was was with him. We also saw a life looking up in Joshua, his his partner. And frankly, uh, last week we saw that kind of of perspective in all of Israel. After uh, their 40 years of wilderness training, they believed God for a miraculous military victory. And they acted on that belief. And we also saw last Sunday this choice to look up in this woman, Rahab. She was not a Jew. She was a Canaanite of all people. But she was able to see Israel's God such that she was willing to lay her life on the line for him and for his purposes in the world. Um, And then today uh, we see a, a, a looking up life in the prophet Elijah. In that First Kings 17 text that Bob read for us. If you've got a Bible, I'd encourage you to, to turn back there. Uh, so at least if you get bored with the sermon, you can read the Bible. <laughs> First Kings 17. Um, Elijah came on the scene about 900 B.C. Uh, this, is, this is centuries after the fall of Jericho that we talked about last week. This is after the period of Israel's judges. It's after the kingships of Saul and David and Solomon. It is after the division of the nation of Israel into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom that they called Israel and the southern kingdom that they called Judah in 930 or so BC. After that, Elijah appears in the northern kingdom, a kingdom that that was maybe as divided as our nation is today about its future, about who it was going to be as a nation. Because there's some there, even within Israel. Judah is thought of as the more righteous uh, group. But there were some in Israel that wanted to return to the ways of God. But there were more, it seems, who wanted a more, let's say, a, a progressive faith environment. Okay? 
Uh, and the poster child of that movement in Israel, the northern kingdom, became King Ahab's wife, Jezebel, a foreign princess who worshipped Baal, a girl's name that is not used anymore in the world today. Ahab was king of Israel for 22 years. And, uh, well, look at, back a chapter to, to chapter 16, what Kings, uh, 1 Kings 16 says about him. If you look at verse 30, this is the assessment. Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those kings before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, which is a former evil king, but he also married Jezebel and began to serve her God. Then skip down to verse 33. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord to anger than did all of Israel's kings before him. How would you like that on your tombstone? Um, It's also interesting, I might just mention for our purposes, that verse 34 down there says that it was under Ahab's rule that Jericho was rebuilt. There's a symbol of Ahab's values right there, you see. Now, remarkably, it seems that Ahab personally still worshipped the God of Israel because he gave his children Hebrew names, not Canaanite names. Uh, But just like Solomon before him, Ahab was obviously led astray in time by his wife, his spouse. Now, there is a big lesson right there in being unequally yoked in marriage. Okay, here's a living example. Be careful who you choose, young people. Be careful who you choose as friends, as confidants, and certainly as your spouse. Uh, The very best of intentions can be totally upended and have been totally upended many times through the ages by the decision we make concerning who will be our spouse, who will we marry. Anyway, this, this is the environment into which God raised up this man, Elijah, really the first of uh, who we call the major prophets. Elijah, we're told, was from Gilead, which was east of the Jordan River, or or the Transjordan. You'll see that word sometimes. That's what it means. It means east of the Jordan River. Remember those tribes of Israel that in the in the conquest of Canaan asked if they could stay on the eastern side of the river, where they'd already established homes and farms and and families. That that's Elijah's heritage, a group east of the river. Those people they lived pretty close to the desert. They were country people who, uh, and this is true even today, country people generally tend to be more conservative and more grounded than city people. Uh, City people, because they're surrounded by man-made things, tend to lose their spiritual groundings easier. And especially capital city people. People who live in those places where human power is particularly concentrated. Uh, Just like we might say today, you know, what on earth is going on in Washington, D.C.? What on earth is going on in Frankfurt? It's like they've lost their minds, you know. So would Elijah and his people in the Transjordan say about Samaria, the northern kingdom's capital. 
They heard what went on there. They saw the luxuries and the injustices and the religious indifference that went on there. And, and they were offensive. And they were very offensive to Elijah. In fact, they were intolerable to Elijah. And so he gave his life to battle against them, largely single-handedly. Elijah appears out of nowhere. And we're told he approaches King Ahab. And he says to him, God says that there's going to be a drought. There's no rain, no dew even for years until I say differently. And then he disappears. Now, I'm sure at that moment, King Ahab thought, why do all the crazies wind up at my door? You know, Uh, he had him removed and then he totally forgot about him. But I promise you, Ahab did not forget Elijah for very long. At this point, Elijah hears the Lord say to him, go and hide back in your own country, east of the Jordan, in the Kareth Ravine, which is a place that makes Wilmore look like a major metropolitan area. Okay. And at this, I'm sure Elijah thought, what have I gotten myself into here? That place is absolutely desolate. This plan, this plan is for the birds. Hmm. And yet he does it. He does what God asks. And this is where the divine door dash comes in. Right? Now, for some of you who may not know, DoorDash is a company like Grubhub, Uber Eats, and others that picks up food that you order from restaurants and delivers it to you. It brings it to your home or to your office or to church or wherever you happen to be. Did you order food, Jerry? (laughs) Just like that. That's why I called this message Divine DoorDash. God confirmed his directions to Elijah by feeding him in the wilderness, in that ravine, through God's own personal food delivery service. The plan literally was for the birds to feed Elijah. Now, you can hardly read about that and not think of that place. It's in Luke 12, where Jesus says, God feeds the ravens of the air. And he says that in order to remind us that if we are, if God is that concerned about even birds, then he's certainly way more concerned about people. Jesus didn't want us to forget that. So, so here, God feeds the ravens, which in turn feeds God's prophet. Um, actually, the ravens fed Elijah really well. Uh, Verse 6 says they brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. That's significant because only the most wealthy people in the ancient Near East had meat even once a day, you see. It's as if God was going out of his way to assure Elijah, look, what you're doing is right. So, so he'd keep doing it. And so he'd have the courage and so he'd have the confidence to keep speaking for God in the days to come. Because, I mean, let's face it, speaking against the king 
and against the, the persuasion of at least half of your nation. It's a punishing thing to keep standing up like that. And, and you can't do that on rabbit food. You got to have meat to do that. Okay. Um, the fact is, Elijah didn't know the half of what God was going to ask him to do. Which is why God works like he does. It's the way God works with most of us. Uh, he unfolds his plan to us piece by piece. Because if we knew what it would involve, the whole thing, a- ahead of time, we probably wouldn't agree to do it. Uh, but, God, but God works like this. He builds faith in us to do this so that then we have faith to do the next thing. And, and then he builds faith there so we have faith to do the next thing. That's how he works. And that's how he worked with Elijah. The ravens kept Elijah fed. Now, truthfully, I, I can't help but wonder about the details of that. You know, I mean, what did that look like? It, it did not look like this. <laughs> His food did not come cooked, packaged, and, and bagged. Although I would imagine the meat was still warm. Because it was wearing its fur coat, you know. Uh, Anyway, in feeding Elijah's body through this divine DoorDash, uh, God also fed his faith so he'd be ready to do the next thing. And the next thing was quite a thing. Uh, When the stream in the ravine dried up, because, of course, there was no rain, because, of course, Elijah said there would be no rain, God announces the next part of the plan. And he sends him, ironically, to this Zarephath of Sidon. Or to put it another way, God sends him to the very land from which Jezebel came. God says, you go from here, Elijah, right into the hometown of your greatest enemy. Which was also suffering the same drought, by the way. And they were suffering famine in that place. Same as Israel, thanks to Elijah. Dangerous mission. A dangerous mission. And yet Elijah goes. Why does he go? Because Elijah was looking up to the Lord. With a memory full of miracles that God had already done, Elijah just presumes, well, if God did all this yesterday and he's doing all this today, surely he will take care of me tomorrow. Uh, So by faith, he walks right into the enemy's camp, you might say. I, I read that and I think God has... Tremendous style in the way he works. I love the way God works. Because you see, Baal Melkart, that's Jezebel's god, the god of Sidon, was supposed to be the ruler of the universe. But here's Israel's god, not only causing famine in Baal's land, Baal's territory, but he's even bringing to his own backyard the one who declared the famine. He's bringing Elijah right into Baal's house, you see. And what God does there through Elijah is is even more powerful. First to this widow. So imagine Elijah, this foreigner. This one, in fact, who ostensibly caused the drought and the famine. He comes to this place and he is asking a sufferer of the famine, hey, how about bringing me a little water? And while you're at it, how about a piece of bread? And the woman agrees for two reasons. First, because we learn in verse 9 there that God has already spoken to her. 
God has already moved her to do this, even though it's probably against her better judgment, humanly speaking. Uh, But she does it. Second, the woman agrees because Elijah is confident enough in God to assure her in verse 13 there, don't be afraid. So long as you do what I tell you, God will make sure there's enough. And there is a statement of faith. As long as you follow God's way, as long as you do what I tell you, the prophet of God tells you, if you do what God tells you, he will make sure there's enough. And at this point, we might imagine the woman saying, really, how can you be so sure? And Elijah replying, well, let me tell you about how he's been feeding me for the past however long. And so she listens. And she does as Elijah says. And of course, it all happens just like he says. You know, God provides for her needs. He provides for the needs of her family. In spite of appearances, in spite of what would seem to be logical, in spite of her own past faith tradition and the faith of all those people around her, in spite of what all they would think, her friends and neighbors, in spite of all of that, in spite of what would be understood as maybe better judgment. She does what God says. And God is faithful. And verse 16 tells us, the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry. (laughs) I mentioned a few weeks ago, and I mentioned again this morning, this this instance um, speaks to the divine and human partnership that brings God's will to be accomplished in the world. Don't miss that. You see, it took God acting. He had to to nudge this Sidonian widow, uh, speak to her about this strange guy who was going to visit her. He had to do that. And it, it took both the widow's obedience and Elijah's obedience to listen and to do what God said in order to make all this happen. You see, to accomplish what God wants to accomplish in the world, he uses people. He uses people in the process. Now, he could just zap things done, and sometimes he does. But way more often, he chooses to be, I said last week, inefficient. Because he's interested in people more than production. Uh, Because it's people who are the pinnacle of his creation. We are who are created in his image. We bear the image of God. And so he partners with us in this way. Here, God is building faith in this woman, in himself. And you see, and in doing so, he's letting Elijah know, and he's letting us know as well, something else important here. He's letting us know that he's not just interested in Jews. His work with this Sidonian widow tells us he's interested in the whole world in anyone who will choose to live life looking up to him. Uh, But even more than than that, through all this, God is building faith in Elijah. Every morning, when there was still a little bit more flour and a little bit more oil, God reinforced in Elijah what he's he's capable of. Uh, All this this living in the ravine, being fed by birds, living in the enemy's camp, the unending jar of oil and water. It's exercising, it's developing, it's strengthening Elijah's faith, his faith muscle to prepare him for an even bigger event that is going to happen in the coming days at Mount Carmel. Uh, 
where instead of uh, all of this roundabout stuff, Elijah and Jezebel and their gods were going to face off in person. Uh, There, it's going to be Elijah against hundreds of Baal prophets and priests and the northern kingdom's queen. It'd be a life and death moment for him. Uh, He didn't know it was coming yet. He didn't know that was on the horizon. But you see, all this, all this go here and then experience a miracle and then go there and experience God working. It was hard on Elijah. It was hard stuff to do, but it was training. It was strength training, faith training Elijah for an event that'd be bigger than anything he could think. That's how God strengthens and broadens and deepens his people. He tells us, do this. And, and yeah, the, the this might be tough. But he says, do this. And when we do it and we see him at work in it, then we're encouraged to follow him again and again and again to keep trusting and to keep looking up. So our faithfulness in the relatively small things makes us able to be faithful in the bigger things. That is how ordinary country people become major prophets for God. They look up, they follow, they see God at work. And they go, huh. And so they, they, again, they look up and they follow and they see God at work. That's a life that pleases God. And it's way simpler than some people make it seem. You know, I mean, to please God, we don't have to make these huge, elaborate plans to do great, dramatic things. God makes the plans. He carries the load. We just have to look up and follow and watch him work. (laughs) That's the kind of life God wants his people to live. Are we living that kind of life? In our day, it's, it's God's Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, the Savior, that, that leads people, that leads his people. Where has he led you today? Or, or maybe, where is he trying to lead you? <laughs> to some wilderness ravine? To a foreign land? Hostile place? Uh, Maybe to a place of poverty. Maybe to a place of dependence on someone you'd rather not depend on. Maybe you think his plan is for the birds. And maybe it is. And maybe it's those very birds that will sustain you and strengthen you. So God can lead you on to the next thing. To the greater purpose that that you can't quite see yet. Will you look up to him for today? Uh, Will you receive from him what he wants to bring you? Uh, So that that we'll be ready for tomorrow. I think that's what he wants to know. I think that's what he wants to know. Lord, all these words on a page about Elijah, they just seem like they're so long ago and we can't even hardly comprehend that this was a real person who had real struggles, who was asked to do really hard things. But because he was obedient to you in this, you led him to this. And because he was obedient to you in that, you led him to that. And it just went on and on and on until it was basically him against the whole religious structure of his day. 
he would have never imagined his life would have turned out that way. A country guy, desert dweller from east of the Jordan. And yet he was willing to be used of you simply because he was willing to look to you, to follow you, to believe you. And he was able to watch you do amazing things because of that. Lord, may we be like Elijah in that way. Uh, Regardless of what you're asking us, regardless of where you're leading us, of what you're telling us to do, where you're telling us to go. Lord, help us to look up to you, to follow you, and to watch you do what only you can do. Only you can do. Thank you, Lord, for using us, using your people. Help us to be ready for the task, whatever it is that you have for us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.